不过人家也不假，阿斯特拉拉古罗 ，twenty fifteen。欢迎来到二零五零年的澳大利亚。Welcome to Australia in twenty fifteen. In this future, there are three main languages spoken: English, Pitjantjara, and Mandarin. And the cultural climate of the country has changed. This is Yukalara in the future. It's located in southeastern Australia, about an hour from the nearest city. Seven siblings live here on a plot of land that they inherited from their great grandmother. It's not always easy to live with your family, but they try to get along. Welcome to Modcast, and in each episode of this series, you will be introduced to one of the siblings, who each thread a different path for the future. Today, we meet Rowan. Hi, I'm Rowan, and I've just grown the world's first completely synthetic hamburger with this food machine I made. Do you want to try one? I'm Medina Jafari, and I'm your guide to Rowan's world. Rowan is a 25-year-old self-taught biohacker and scientist who is driven by the core value of freedom. Rowan has just made the world's first synthetic hamburger and has now turned their attention to growing lab meat. Rowan thinks this should take over from all other traditional sources of food. But how realistic is Rowan's point of view, and what will it take to make their version of 2050 a reality? In this episode, I'll speak with researchers about challenges surrounding food security and the education system of 2050. It's 2050. Learning has taken a different route, and the way we humans consume food has changed. Increased population, climate change, and other factors have pushed us to embrace synthetic foods over traditional produces. People now use much more wide variety of channels to learn. So it's not only using uh, interaction with others, but also a lot of uh, resources that are mediated by technology. A lot of agents that make sure that you have the right information at the right time. You're using also quite a lot of other tools that help you create knowledge and exchange that knowledge with other people, so that learning becomes much more social, but at the same time much more empowered by technology. Professor Abilardo Paro is a dean academic at the Division of IT, Engineering and Environment at the University of South Australia. He says that education has become much more personalized, where agents and artifacts are used by humans to gather knowledge. I think it allows them to narrow down solutions and explore spaces much more efficiently. So when we try to analyze a problem or a situation or a challenge. The type of tools we have today allows us to gather knowledge much more efficiently, the right knowledge, and and try to find the right agents to interact with, the right people to exchange information, find the expertise, and have all these elements much more readily available to us to tackle a problem or explore a new area or just、uh, analyze a specific issue. Personalized education is important in 2050, so that people are able to use high-level skills to operate systems like Rowan's hamburger machine. I think it is even more important because the type of challenges we are facing today require like high skills, knowledge, and the type of society that we are articulating relies more and more on education. Research has played a significant role in many aspects of life, where people have been able to identify the need to upgrade for better living and adaptation to Rowan's changing world. Research provides a clear guidance of the type of processes that are being improved, of the improvements that we can put in the in the regular education on how to make sure everybody has the right opportunities, the right type of learning environment. So research is fundamental to drive these type of improvements.、Yeah. Rowan and the siblings are benefiting from these changes as they've got more opportunities than previous generations. 
these opportunities translate into much more creative processes, much more effective ways of solving society problems and problems that affect all of us. But what does it take to have this personalized education available for all? It requires a very decisive vision from the point of view of leaders, politicians, institutions, and requires this constant process of agreeing that this is a priority for us as a society. Technologies are certainly aiding Rowan's generation towards high-quality education, but they still need to maintain some of the most important traditional learning skills. Personalized learning, we have uh, seen that is an efficient process, something that takes learners to new dimensions and to new ways to approaching problems. So we still need to find out the right way to balance between this individualized learning, but also the societal part, the communication with others. And that's probably the aspect we need to make sure that we don't lose sight of. But uh, yeah, the personalized aspect is actually very important and consolidated all across the world. Rowan and the siblings were trained at an early age to be trilingual. They can now speak in English, Pitanjara and Mandarin. The type of society we have now offers that possibility. And from the very beginning, you are continuously listening to different ways of expressing ideas in these languages. And by the time you reach certain maturity in your learning skills, then you are exposed to communicating in those languages. So this is something that is feasible for, for all the students to become fluent in these three languages. Rowan is amongst the luckiest to have access to this personalized way of education. Unfortunately, not everyone is able to use this method of learning. We still have quite a lot of challenges to address in our society and we still have a lot of problems that we need to solve and therefore learning and education is still at the centre of this capacity for us to address these issues and, and advance as a society. I believe that dead animals have no place on the kitchen table. I hate people that kill animals and plants. Personalised learning has allowed Rowan to make the world's first synthetic hamburger by using machines they built themselves. The rise of synthetic foods is really undeniable. This was something that was just very much a kind of a thought bubble, if you will, in the early part of the 21st century. But in 2050, we see a lot more use of manufactured foods, often based on natural products, but making new foods that are nutritionally balanced, but also doing it in a way that's environmentally more sound. Rachel Ankeny is a professor in the School of Humanities at the University of Adelaide, studying history, philosophy and food studies. She says that the dynamic of what we are eating now has changed drastically. There's a lot more acceptance of a range of technologies, including genetic technologies, synthetic biology, nanotechnologies and so on. We're finding people are very interested in continuing to try to think about how they eat and improving the quality of what they eat and perhaps reducing the quantity. Rowan's generation is benefiting from changes in the scientific and social approach to food, with an increased focus on managing food waste in contrast to 2020. One third of food was being wasted either during production, due to packaging, or at the other end. What we see now in 2050 is there's much more attention to the need to reduce waste. So thinking more about packaging, thinking about eating or buying and consuming just what we need, and also more generally thinking about the processing so that other sorts of products, including other sorts of novel foods, can be made out of what we previously would have considered to be waste. Society on a whole has transitioned to trusting technologies such as Rowan's Food Lab, in contrast to the early 21st century when people were still scared of what it might do. We've tended to see where the technologies can actually make significant contributions, for example, being more environmentally friendly, 
allowing production of more sustainable kinds of foodstuffs, reducing fossil fuel use and, and other sorts of resource use. In contrast to going vegan in 2020, people have now developed a more complex eating pattern where there's a range of traditional and synthetic foods available to choose from to suit each individual's personal body requirements. Depending on your body, your particular health conditions or, or sickness, you can change what you eat in order to supplement that. So there's a lot more nutritionally enhanced foods that can help you have better control over your health. So in many ways, I think eating 2050 is probably more nutritionally sound, at least, than it would have been back in 2020. With increased population and changes in climate, the way we do farming has changed drastically. Farming has now become much more automated and is designed to adapt to changing conditions. So farmers have needed to look, as they have throughout history, at new breeds and new ways of growing and look to crops that are more saline resistant and also look to the locations in which they're actually farming to make better use of the water that there is. And here again, technologies are incredibly useful because not only genetic modification, but other forms of breeding technologies have been really critical to coming up with drought resistant and saline resistant varieties. In many ways, those sort of genetically modified foods have always been a worry in part because people didn't necessarily understand why we needed them. Unfortunately, with the push of continued climate change and continued drought and so on, people have become more aware that we need to try to use these sorts of technologies in order to be able to produce adequate amounts of food in order for farmers to continue to be able to grow their crops. But nonetheless, we seem to be still running short on food supplies for the Australian population. Seeing those benefits both socially for farmers and otherwise for our food supply, but also for the environment, has made people more comfortable than they were in the past at least with those that have sort of made it um, to be commercially viable. Australia remains um, limited by its very large uh, land size, and there continue to be some problems with food insecurity in some socioeconomic groups, but also in some locales. That unfortunately doesn't seem to be a problem that we've completely overcome. But with the shift away from quantity as the mark of, say, a successful or a good diet, and much more emphasis on quality, and we've been able in many ways to make a smaller amount go further. But what has changed for good or bad is the price. According to Rachel, the price of food in the early 21st century was too cheap. In 2050, however, overconsumption is too pricey for Rowan and their siblings, and high quality food is only available for those who can afford it. The synthetic foods, like any other foods, are quite diverse. You know, you have the cheaper, much more industrial grown end, and you have the, you know, boutique high end. Having uh, foodstuffs made for you personally in every detail is something that, that only the very rich can do. International trade and export of foods have also declined. This is due to climate concerns that are a direct result of exportation between countries. There's been a need to really turn much more internally and think about the domestic market and what people really want here in the domestic market, as well as think harder about what we still do export in terms of making it environmentally sustainable, making it very high quality, thinking about the effects on the environment. And so all of those things, as well as more tracing, more provenance tracing that goes on, have really affected our image as an exporter that what we do send out, which is less than it used to be, is clean and green. 
In addition to this, the ever-so-trendy fast food industry has also declined as people have turned to healthier ways of eating from a range of ethnic cuisines. But nonetheless, people like Rowan still find comfort in traditional hamburger-like meals. The real question to ask is, would people embrace lab-grown meat as well? We've had good evidence that people are willing to consume it so long as it's safe, but also that it ticks the boxes of what they're expecting out of meat. So synthetic meat isn't in some sense pretending to be something else, it's saying it's just a different kind of meat. So it's going to have to have everything from the taste and the mouthfeel and serve as an equivalent. You want to be able to cook it up in the same way and so on and so on. All those sorts of attributes are going to matter to whether people first are willing to try it, but more importantly, are willing to actually you know, consume it on a regular basis. Apart from being ethically right, lab-grown meat like Rowan's hamburger is said to be much more expensive than traditional meat. Certainly cell culture techniques going back, you know, end of the 20th century is when cell-based meat really started to become discussed and tested, were incredibly expensive going back then. They've become more reasonable, but it's still perhaps more than what the average person might think they could get equivalently either in traditional meat or in plant-based protein. And so cell culture remains kind of this tricky space simply because the cost is, is greater. Is there a benefit? Well, people who are very committed to the environment, for instance, might see that it is worth the additional cost. Um, plant-based protein even has negative environmental effects because it does involve, obviously, growing plants under you know, certain conditions. And obviously, environmental and animal welfare concerns about traditional meat might push people to be willing to pay more for cell-based products. While Rowan can grow a burger in their lab, there still isn't the right infrastructure required to make cell-based meat to transition everyone away from traditional foods. Cell-based meat still isn't at a level where it's going to be completely feeding everyone. It really takes a large amount of production in order to produce the equivalent. All of these trends are going to ride together, so it's not just going to be a question of cell culture-based meat versus um, traditional meat. It's going to also be in the mix of things like plant-based proteins, increased consumption of plants and fruit, increased consumption of other things with protein like insects and legumes and nuts. All these things have combined together and that's why I said, you know, back in 2020, people talked about being omnivores or vegans and so on. Nowadays, diversivores are really what we see. People are eating much more diverse diets, but trying to really tick the boxes of enjoying it, liking the taste, getting good nutrition, being healthy, and using food as part of their social life. Rachel has embraced synthetic food, but says that there are a range of factors that would inform her decision to eat it. In the closed taste test, I would say that I can tell the difference between you know, a cell culture burger rather than a regular burger. But um, you know, would I prefer to consume it? It all depends what the regular one is. So the devil's in the details of the way it's been cooked, the way it's been produced, who's been producing it, how long it's sat, how long it's traveled, and so on. As with any food, I think, it's not just about what's in it, it's also about the context within which it's being served and produced. And so my uh, food choices are quite diverse, and it all depends. The future will come from the choices made today. Would you like this future? Today's episode was produced by me, Medina Jafari, with series senior producer Sarah Martin. 
Thanks to Abelardo Pardo and Professor Rachel Ankeny for their insights in this episode. To Natalie Kafora, Elke Kleinig, Kristen Alford, and Nikki Marcel for their background support and resources. The Seven Siblings from the Future podcast series is supported by MOD at the University of South Australia and is linked to an exhibition on site from November 2019 to May 2020. For more info, go to mod.org.au.